If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Wins and Losses with Clay Travis. Clay talks with the most entertaining people in sports, entertainment, and business. Now, here's Clay Travis. Welcome in, Clay Travis here, Wins and Losses podcast. We've already had Dan Wetzel on to talk about his career But amazingly, he didn't bring up the fact that he was going to be an executive producer on a wildly successful Netflix documentary uh, about Aaron Hernandez, which has blown up in a huge way on the front page of Netflix. uh, I I said uh, on my radio show, uh, Outkick the Coverage, that I was out in L.A. recently, and I was on the elliptical in the gym in the hotel, and there were two older women, one other woman on an elliptical, another woman on walking on a treadmill, And they both had iPads with them. And I looked over, kind of just glanced to my left and my right. They're both watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Now, I'm not an expert. They could be the greatest NFL fans of all time. They could watch every game all day long. But I think partly what that's indicative of is this documentary, Dan, as we bring in Dan Wetzel, you can find him on Twitter, at Dan Wetzel, has not only appealed to sports fans, but it's already gone well beyond sports fans. We talk, you write for and talk to a sports audience. I certainly do the same. But you know a story has really popped when it moves beyond sports. And I feel like this Netflix documentary about Aaron Hernandez that you're an executive producer of has definitely done that already. And it's only been up for like a week at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, immediately. Um it's 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 not a sports doc. It's there's a lot of sports in it. Um, he you know he played football, but you know it's 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 also not fully a true crime doc. Um, it's also not fully a family relationship doc or all the other tangents in it. And that's I think why this thing's so popular. There's something there for so many different people that are interested in so many different things. So we knew all along. Um, you know, the way they were going to market it and stuff was not, hey, here's here's a, this isn't a 30 for 30, right? This is Netflix. This is Netflix front page. This is a totally different 
uh, just quite honestly, just this massive audience, and the idea is to get as much of it as possible. Um, so, you know, the fact he played football is obviously prominent there. That You know, there's a lot of money spent on all the, the highlights and getting all that. We talk a lot of football, but it's, you know, it, it goes, it just goes beyond that. And, um, and that's why I think you're seeing this. So it, I wasn't surprised by that. Uh, we, one of the reasons I covered the Aaron Hernandez trial and very few people in sports did or ever stopped caring about it was because it, it spoke to a much larger audience. Uh, of the of true crime. I mean, there's just a massive true crime interest out there. Do you remember before Donald Trump was president, they used to do true crime every night, even parts of like the Bill O'Reilly show, like Fox News and CNN. They used to do true crime all the time. They'd follow these these trials, the Jody Arias or Lacey Peterson. Remember, it's like just random people. Casey Anthony, like uh, the stories would blow up and become major, you know, international, international even um, stories as well. I mean, it was now cable does none of it. They do nothing except politics. And which, you know, some of us find completely boring. Um, Some don't, obviously. That's their business. But it's not like the true crime fans went away. Right, and a lot of them have moved to podcast, honestly, because the True Crime podcast is one of the most uh, wildly popular in the entire podcast universe. So I want to circle around here, because I'm I'm fascinated on so many levels about this documentary, uh, which I watched three hours straight, uh, and I'm going to ask you all sorts of interesting questions, but I want to start with the process of how a documentary like this gets made. You mentioned that you covered uh, both of these trials, Aaron Hernandez's Odin Lloyd trial, as well as the double murder trial that was in Boston. Um, but so you cover these trials. At what point do, do you start thinking, oh, this is a book? Oh, this is a movie? What is the process by which you, and for people out there who may not be familiar, uh, but I bet a lot of people are going to be watching this and, and probably people will be listening to this for the next several months, next several years, potentially, as this documentary continues to percolate out there, uh, you are one of the talking heads in the course of this documentary. But how does it come about? How did you become an executive producer? How does Netflix end up with this documentary? I know nothing about this world. Explain to me how a documentary like this is made. Uh, Well, so, I, you know, I covered Hernandez a little bit of Florida, more at the Patriots, but that was just football, right? You know, yes. I talked to people like, you ever talked to him? Like, yeah, I did, but I, you know, I asked him about, you know, the that touchdown third pass. third and eight not, catch, you know, that you had. I or did whatever, not right? know to ask about, yeah, your state of mind at the double homicide. Yeah, um, right. Once the story broke, obviously, it's huge, right? Aaron Hernandez, suspect, and then the evidence starts coming out, and it's like, you know, this crazy thing, so start covering it from from pretty much that point on and you know on top of it the whole time obviously been go to bristol go to boston go to uh, do the uh how many the, days the, did the you trial? spend in, the, in court like watching this trial totaled if you had to guess i don't know i mean the first one was about eight weeks the second one was maybe six i don't know i didn't i wasn't there every day uh, there's a lot of snow for the first one. I don't know. I, a lot. I don't know. Most of like, I would say maybe three quarters of those trials. I mean, a ton of days times. that you spent in the, in the courtroom Tons. watching the, yes. Yeah. And not just watching the trial, but talking to the other people when you're in a courtroom, it, they're, they're not very big usually. Yeah. Um, there's three rows, 
maybe the one in Boston is pretty big. That was probably like six rows. I mean, there's 70 people in there. You're there all day. You know, there's, you know, they have a jury, you know, break for you 10 start, minutes. You recognize are, everybody who's in the room, basically, you end if up you're there every day. pretty much everybody, whether it's on the record or in front of a camera. You yep. pretty, I mean, you meet Shayana Jenkins. You meet the, the mother in some way. You, you just do because you're just all in close proximity, right? Bathroom, we all go to the bathroom, right? So you meet all the people. So you just get so much material. So anyway, during the first trial, in which was down in Fall River, Massachusetts is outside of Boston. It's kind of a small city, sort of, it's not quite between Providence and Boston, but it's kind of like that. Um, yeah, Kevin Armstrong was covering the, who's also in the dock and is an executive producer. He's covering it for the New York Daily News. Yep. He's coming up from New York every week. And we are sitting in, uh, there's a little diner and we're just, I'm just like, there's just so much here. I mean, this is just, this case, ha- it's not just the daily stuff, but like, the relationship between the two sisters, you know, the the, the way the prosecution's doing this, uh, the the situation between the mother and 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 Aaron, uh, just all these different things. I'm like, can't get all this into daily coverage. Yep, just impossible. So we're like, hey, we should do a book. I think this is a book and a movie. This is whatever. So at that point, we start kind of working on the process. Um, we were never able to get the book done. Um, we could never get a book deal. Uh, oddly, um, but we were able. We did hook up with uh, a company uh, uh, through my through our, my agency Endeavor uh, 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 called Blackfin out of New York, and Gino McDermott, who's the director and and an, an executive producer. So he jumps in basically for the second trial, and we start interviewing. We start doing a lot of interviews and all of that. Now at this point, Hernandez is still alive, and we don't know he's going to get acquitted. There's all sorts of stuff still to come. But we just knew, you know, just like keep filming, right? And, um, you know, it's a long process. I mean, we had pitch meetings with everybody. Everybody turns you down. Uh, you have another round of pitch meetings. Everybody turns you down. I mean, it's just a very hard process. Um, we made a documentary of like a film, a 90-minute film. Uh, that got into the New York uh, New York Doc Festival uh, in uh, like Chelsea and uh, had a couple showings, got really good reaction from the public. Uh, and that brought, as I, as I recall it, that brought Netflix back to the table. Now Netflix comes in, they buy it. They have so much, you know, we, we ramp it up even more um, and do more interviews, more stuff. Uh, they have an incredible, uh, we work with a group, uh, Angus Wall out of L.A. and this this company called Rock Paper Scissors and Make Make it. It's all these, these tremendous like because you know the story's very fascinating, but to make a doc you need the the, the cuts and the music and the score, you know, all that stuff that makes a, a, a show compelling. And so they come in and put you know a lot of resources behind it, and uh, and then here we are. So it it, it, it was a process, but we got turned down by everybody, man, over and over. And what has Netflix told you about viewership? I know they kind of keep this stuff kind of close to the vest, but in the first, and we're talking within the first week that this thing has been up. I mean, I I just, just, but based on what you see on, for instance, social, like I'll just tell you this, like, so a lot of it's anecdotal, but I said uh, yesterday, I talked about it on my Periscope Facebook show and I just said, Hey, 
you know, I don't know, there's several thousand people who are watching, you know, me talk about that live, right? How many, it's just say yes if you've watched this documentary. And like the whole screen is just all yeses, right? And yesterday uh, on my radio show, I said, I'm just kind of curious. Let just come on, go on my Twitter page and just say yes if you've watched this Aaron Hernandez documentary. And immediately, hundreds of people go to my Twitter Twitter page and say, like, yes, I've watched it, right? Like, um, and so. Have you kind of gotten that that read early on? It's still early in terms of its distribution, but have you noticed on your social media feed people that, you know, like, oh, you're Dan Wetzel from the documentary, things like that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The front, to have your show as the prime show on Netflix, it's the biggest thing in entertainment. I mean, just I think it just is. There's not that many people going to the movie theater that they're, that they're just go on Netflix every night to see what there is. Yeah, And so here's this thing that's a very compelling story. And again, it speaks to all sorts of different angles, right? You've got football, you've got the true crime, you've got betrayal, you've got loyalties, you've got guns, you've got, you know, drugs. You, I mean, you got it all. This is, the, this is an American story, man. And so, boom, here it is. And I, there was a point, we sat there, we were texting uh, Gino and Kevin and I on the Tuesday night. We were like, this is going to be like, a, you know, like, I wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. There was another point, like the next night, the first night it came out. And I, I, you could go on Twitter and just type in Aaron Hernandez. Now, yeah. nothing has happened in the Aaron Hernandez. And then just scroll hit latest. And there would be five, six comments a second. Yeah. It was just like every second. There's just boom, 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 boom. I'm watching this. I'm watching this. Oh my god! You know, and and or you know, and and they, you know, why are they making it? It could be anything, right? But all of a sudden, and it was the number one trending topic on Twitter, which you know isn't Twitter always representative of the real world. But when you're on the front page of uh, Netflix, it's evidence that a lot of people are watching. On the day they handed the indict the impeachment down on the president of the United States. Yeah, it was the number one trending topic, you know, and uh, on a case that nothing's happened. So there's no breaking news. The entire breaking news is that Netflix released the documentary. It's not like new evidence or, you know, something comes up, and it was like, oh my goodness, like, all right, everyone's watching this thing, and it's like, and it's just kind of exploded. So, all right, it's uh, it's 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 an incredible story. It's an an you know, it's just a fascinating story. It's a sad story. It's very few redeeming qualities to it. It's terrible, but from the start, I've always said, you know, people would say, why are you covering this thing? Like, I left I, I left the Super Bowl in midweek to go to the opening arguments of the yeah. first trial and then came back to the Super Bowl. Everyone's like, why are you leaving the Super Bowl? I'm like, the story is, there's a Super Bowl every year. Yeah, I've never seen this thing. So... Let's go into the documentary itself and, and the way the story is told. The most riveting part of the documentary to me is the jailhouse phone conversations that are all taped where you can hear. You don't obviously get to sit and have an interview with Aaron Hernandez. You see him uh, in trial. He's a huge part of this story. But other than you know, like archival footage and interviews with him, the part of the documentary that brings him alive is these jailhouse conversations with several different people. Uh, his fiance and his daughter, uh, which are heartbreaking. His mom, which is just unbelievable. Uh, the, their relationship and the way those conversations would go. 
his agent, who basically sounds like a typical agent, and some of his friends, uh, you know, and uh, and former teammates who uh, who make appearances on these. I never really thought about it, but all of these are uh, are archived and taped. How do you go about hearing those? How many hours of footage did you guys go through to end up with however many minutes you used in the documentary? Well, I agree. They're the key to the, the documentary to me. First of all, it does bring Aaron's voice in. Yep. I don't think a viewer would, you know, fault anybody for not, like, why don't you, you know. That's, the holy, that's the holy crap moments to me that happened most frequently. Right. Like, I knew the story from the, 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 the having read your columns and obviously followed this story, but hearing his conversations with the people closest to him, that was the, oh, my God, I can't believe this is real. Well, they're more powerful than an actual interview because yes. in an interview, he's not going to talk like that. Right. We didn't know the level of, you know, discord between he and his mother. Right. right. Now, you knew there was there was tension there. People would tell you that because, you know, after his father died, it's just, there's, there's, a, there's a falling out, right? She seems and, like an awful human being in this documentary. I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, uh, she she sounds however she sounds. I'll just, I'll just say that. I mean, um, if you were a parent, let's just put it this way. If you were a parent and you went back and listened to uh, your conversations with your kids, and granted, this is not the sum total of it, right? These are excerpts. But if you heard your conversation and it sounded like that, you would be like, I'm the worst parent who's ever lived, right? Like, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed if uh if that's what i sounded like talking to my son on a documentary yeah yeah it's 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 the the emotion and the rawness of those obviously are are, are pretty incredible and you you add because of that you are able to really add an understanding that of all the different things you know our our, our challenge was to try to explain Aaron Hernandez without excusing Aaron Hernandez yes I, I was, we were very, tried to be extremely clear. Aaron Hernandez made these decisions. Aaron Hernandez ruined people's lives, ended people's lives, ruined people's lives who did not know him and those who did know him. He was an absolute uh, wreck to what he did to so many people. And, and you know, we tried to spend as much time as possible honoring the victims and making Odin Lloyd, you know, more than just a name and Safira Furtado and, and Daniel De Abreu more than just a name, right? Oh, he killed this guy, but let's focus on the star. Well, you know what? These guys are stars too. And so I don't know where we were with that, but so the jailhouse interviews to, to explain, to explain him, you get an explanation. You realize that the, 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 the relationship with his mother is is dysfunctional right and i mean he's literally saying it he's like i can't talk to you you know he's basically i want to tell you who i am and i can't trust you and all the different things so you would never get that in an interview i mean there's no way he's going to say that type of stuff or she's you know so to get those kind of those things and and the other part i thought was really interesting from the conversations is here's a guy he fooled everybody in his life. Nobody really knew the whole Aaron Hernandez. They might know this part about him. They didn't know this part, whatever. It doesn't seem like anybody really knew him fully. And if you listen to the conversations, I don't know how many there are, eight, nine, ten, he has a different tone of voice and a different way of talking to every single person. Yeah. 
He's just a totally different guy when he's talking to one or the other. And I get some of that. Okay, you're not going to talk to your mom like you're going to talk to your college buddies, you know, you know, remembering some, like, funny time. But it's a different tone of voice. It's a different pot. I mean, everything's different. And that part to me was pretty, pretty fascinating because the true thing is, like, who is Aaron Hernandez? I don't know that anyone knows. And that's why throughout his life he stunned people with things. You know, all the way down to his death, where the people who are talking to him the day before he dies are like, I he couldn't have done it. He, you know, he, it, it's not plausible. His own attorneys and fiance are like, he didn't commit suicide. He did. He just never gave anybody the full story. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking to Dan Wetzel's Wins and Losses podcast about the Aaron Hernandez documentary up on Netflix. So um, back to the, the, the jailhouse recordings. I didn't, I didn't even know that you could get those, right? And that they transcribe them all and that they keep them all and that they're accessible to uh, other individuals. Did you know that? Like, how did you come about discovering that those were out there 
and that you could use them in a documentary? Uh, I knew. Um, it's They don't always give them out. Um, yeah. The, the police, I mean, if you ever call a jail or have someone call, they'll say your call's being recorded. Yes, right. So, you know, I mean, it's like calling, the, you know, whatever you call the electric company, and they say your call being recorded. You don't kind of just think about it. But um, generally, you're not going to get them out publicly because right. there are appeals and different things. Because So if he hadn't killed himself, you wouldn't have had the ability to get these? I, I don't know. You file, uh, it's very tricky. Freedom of Information Acts are very tricky and can be a long legal process. Um, and we weren't the only ones. There's a lot of meat, particularly the Boston Globe did yeoman's work on this and to get the, some of the calls. We did not have every call I ever made in any way. I think there were like 900 phone calls or something like that. Right. Um, so, you know, but it, it is a, it is a difficult process to get that kind of information, but it's, it's a public it's public record, and at least in Massachusetts, we were able to get we were able to get them. And uh, but I, my guess is that they would have been denied if he's appealing because they're part of evidence in a case. Yes. Um, but clearly, I mean, the police listen to everything that's going on on, a, on those calls because they they literally are shaping their strategy on it. They're looking for codes. They comb over it, you know. Especially you know when they're he's talking to. To whatever. I mean, let's say there was a jailhouse call where he kind of insinuates something about, like, Shayana in that box. Like, hey, you know, he did solid. It's just anything that they could then use as evidence. So, never talking to anyone in jail, dear listener. Uh, yeah, watch watch what you're saying. Um, so, I think that's it. But I, they were, to me, the most important part of, of making taking this to the next level of, a, of, a, of, of storytelling. Now, you don't hear from Tom Brady. You don't hear from Tim Tebow. Obviously, the two quarterbacks who were most closely associated with Aaron Hernandez, both when he was at Florida Gators and then also with the New England Patriots. Uh, but you hear from them in interviews, uh, archival, as they're asked about it in, uh, in real time as these stories develop. You even hear a pretty incredible uh, outtake of Rob Gronkowski uh, being asked about him where like he basically threatens to end the conversation uh, in the interview. Uh, if uh, if they ask him about it, I'm assuming you guys went out and said and tried to get interviews with uh, other teammates. But you get a couple of the guys that people really don't know that well who would sit and talk about him. How many people did you request, and how many no's did you get from the NFL universe and the college football universe surrounding Aaron Hernandez? You know, I don't know because I wasn't the only person working on that, so yeah. I wouldn't know how many, but. You know, not and there are not a lot of yeses. There's not a lot of people that are dying to attach themselves to Aaron Hernandez. And you know, I, I one time I asked Tebow, I was talking to Tebow about something else, and I asked him about it, and he was pretty good about, you know, just you know, he had he had an interesting thing, and he said um, when so when he was in Florida, he you know almost every day he'd go to like the children's hospital, like after practice, or go yeah. to. To some kind of outrage. I mean, it's Tebow, right? Yeah, right. And and he said, I don't. I think the player who came along, I would try to get people to come. And he says, I think the player who came the most was Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> you know, like there's this kind heart to. Like I don't. He's like I don't know. You know, I think in fairness, you know, that would I mean, incre- that would have been incredible if Tebow had said that on the documentary, right? Like, yeah, uh, I don't because it Tebow just goes to it just goes to what you're saying, which is what yeah. a chameleon he is, right? Who is this guy? Yeah, so he's over there, uh, 
with the with the sick kids at the Gainesville Hospital uh, with Tebow, and uh, but then you know this is what he became. He, I don't know how much Tom Brady knew him. You know, like football's a weird. They work together, but not. It's a weird sport. It's a weird locker room. Um, there's long off seasons. It's not like you're traveling together all the time, like in baseball or something. And even then, it's like man, I don't. I don't blame them. And then I, I think there's a part in there where like um, Zagotis is his high school friend, um, um, who you know really was his friend his whole life. Not not the uh, not San Susi and his dad, but uh, yeah. the other guy. And he's like, I was kind of worried about stuff with Aaron, but, you know, it had ever heard him before. No, you know, and, and I think anybody who saw Hernandez or if you were like, you know, you might be like, God, that guy might be partying too much or that guy, you know, I don't know. You might think, yeah, you know, if he doesn't straighten up, he, you know, maybe there's a DUI, maybe there's a, a bar, f- you know, the stuff you hear every day on the, on, you know, here's the update. So-and-so from the Vikings was arrested. You know, you're not sitting there going, Boy, I think I think Hernandez, you know, was involved in a drive-by shooting, you know, or that if, this, if he doesn't change the way he acts a little bit, he's going to become a serial uh, killer. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna execute someone in a field near his house. Like the, you know, like the the crimes are in hindsight. You, everyone looks back, goes, "Oh, they should have seen this coming." How could you ever see this coming? Like this is so beyond. And in the building, I, you know, everybody, every teammate I have spoken to, everyone who has, they've done other interviews. People don't want to necessarily sit down and be the face on a Netflix documentary, and I totally get it. But, they, oh, you know, the guy showed up on time. He was in shape. He loves football. He played hard. Like, the Patriots gave him a $40 million contract. They hand those out. He was still on a rookie deal. Yeah. He was making fourth-round money, half a million a year. He was the biggest bargain in the NFL those first two years. And they gave him that deal and said, we're going to build our team around you, Gronk, and, and basically Brady. Not because, uh, like, they don't do that unless they 100% believe in you. Like, that, I mean, like, the most telling, the, the, the most, the best proof that Aaron Hernandez was a chameleon and the Patriots didn't know is that they risked so much on him. Because they wouldn't have thought he's going to be a murderer and get arrested and then we can cut him. It would be like, this guy's shaky and he, we could take a cap hit, he doesn't perform. Like, that, they don't give that deal unless they believe in you. This is Bill Belichick. He would have just traded him if he thought he didn't want to get rid of him. You know? Even when uh, Hernandez was like, uh, you know, I want to, uh, you know. So they in the building and in, in his daily life, he was coming across as someone who had it together. He just didn't, particularly at the, those last six months. Uh, really, a- after the double homicide, things rolled, and then and then the fight with Bradley, everything just went haywire that off season. Were you in the courtroom when Robert Kraft, uh, the owner of the New England Patriots, testified? I was. It was amazing. So, so in the documentary. That was one of the moments where I think they say he looks back for Robert Kraft yeah. to come in six different times. And yeah. to me, uh, I don't know if it struck you this way, but you could tell even that Aaron Hernandez and whatever else he's done in his life, and obviously he was a serial killer. I mean, he made a lot of bad decisions. He seemed to really like Robert Kraft, right? I mean, like even on trial for murder, the way he's looking back to see Robert Kraft come in, 
it was like Kraft was a grandfather or a father-like figure to him. Did you pick up on that in the courtroom? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, I you think know, I, like, you know, I, I think, you I think we wrote that. about it at the yeah. time. It was, yeah, it was clear that this was like dad's home. And, I'm, yeah. and, 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 and he it, cared that, what Robert Kraft was going yeah. to say about him and what he thought about him, even as he's on trial for murder. Yeah, and it was like the disappointment. It's, you know, yeah. like when you're a kid and you're someone, they, they yell, you shouldn't have done this. And the worst thing that your parents can say, I swear, is, I'm disappointed in you. I'm not mad. I'm right. disappointed. It's, like, oh, it's a great, it's a great dad oh, line, right. great mom line. It's great dad line. I use it now, right? Yeah. So it is. And you, you, could, you could see and feel that. It was like no other. He had people coming into that courtroom, two trials, literally saying the worst things ever about him. Yep. Just, I mean, they are just trashing him. And he's either staring him down or just like, whatever, I don't care. And then in comes Robert Kraft, and you could tell it was like, I disappointed this guy. This guy was fair to me. He was good to me. He made my dream come true, and boom. And, and this is why the documentary, I think, is such a great medium for this story. Because people say, well, this stuff's been in print. I, did, I wrote all this stuff. It, the, the Boston Globe podcast, Gladiator, is phenomenal. It's a great crime podcast, and I re- if you're into this, listen to that too. If you're really into this case, but it's a podcast, you have to see it, right? Like I can explain it as best I can, but you see that, and you're like, oh my goodness, look at that look on his face. And then the amazing thing about it, Kraft just buries him, and a lot of the, one of the problems with this trial was it the way it was covered nationally on the cable channels. And this happens with these trials is they have the same, like the same kind of hosts of these shows and the same three or four talking heads on like, you know, and, and they aren't there and they don't really know the trial. They're just like, they're lawyers who then work all day and then they chop on TV and go, oh, this was important. This wasn't. Yeah, right. And people missed when Kraft laid out the alibi that Aaron Hernandez said, I was at a club. I hope the timeline comes out. It was like a gasp. In the, everybody who was there was like, oh, no, this is devastating for, for, for Hernandez. It's like, I, I knew where, I, I, uh, I know, I hope the timeline comes out, because when that murder happened, I was in a club, and we had already heard for weeks every single step of Aaron Hernandez's day. Like, yep. they had him on cell phone. The cell phones tracked his thing, or they had cameras. He leaves at 7.58. He goes to dinner in Providence with Shay. He comes back. He's at a gap. Like, every single thing. He never went to a club that night. And, he, and how did he know the time? And when he did that, it was game over for Aaron Hernandez. So in the most unbelievable bit, Robert Kraft put Aaron Hernandez away. And because Robert Kraft was in the, an unimpeachable witness. Because it was like, why is this guy lying? And he's the only one that Hernandez talked to in, the, in that time that was going to talk. And so it was a devastating bit and just an w- unbelievable twist to have the owner of the Patriots, basically. And then because of that, the defense had been arguing he wasn't there, which was, wasn't going to work anyway, uh, amongst tons of evidence that suggested he was there, including, like, Four guys get in a car where they drop him off on the way, or right, you know, then pick him up later. He had the he had the sneakers. He had these rare, rare. Uh, I mean, his DNA is on the gum. Uh, he, he had these rare sneakers, these Jordan Jordan Elevens or something. 
size 13, like, you know, they bring in the Jordan expert. There aren't that many of these things made. Right. They, there's a shoe box with the exact same. It's one mile. It. It's one mile right. from his home. Right. All this different stuff. But once they did, once, once Kraft did that, they end up switching their entire defense and go, yeah, he was there. But he didn't but do it. He didn't do it. The other guys did it, which is his defense and every single thing. Every time, like, he, in a five-year period, there were four shootings that, at least at some point or another, someone said you were, you did, or you were at. Um, the one in Gainesville, I don't know, maybe he wasn't there, maybe he was, but at least three, and every one of them, he said, no, the other guy, I was there, but the other guy did Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, as a part of this, and we're talking to Dan Wetzel, this is the uh, Wins and Losses podcast. Uh, I'm Clay Travis. So the, the strategy... Let me take a step back. The number you were just talking about, uh, how they could track his, his movement. 
One of the things that strikes me, and I think there's a lot of people out there listening to this now that will not have thought about it very much, but between cell phones and public cameras, almost all of us are being tracked all day long everywhere we go. And in this documentary, I mean, you know, and I, I think kind of in the back of your mind, you might be aware of it, but something simple like you stop at a gas station and you go get gum or whatever, or you're filling up your gas tank. Like, they have that footage in the documentary, right? Like, pretty much everywhere you go, when they pick up Odin Lloyd, there's cameras outside of one of the homes nearby there, so we know exactly what time they get into the car. There's a camera on the interstate such that we see them as they are driving by at a particular time. Not even speaking to the text messages or cell phones, which I think people contemplate. In an investigation like this, the police have an incredible amount of data they can go back through. Live video cameras, all these different things that they can go back to try to trace exactly where someone was. And that is devastating, right? Even in the second murder trial, they have the car as it pulls out of the, uh, and, and even footage of the car like going down the road, they basically have everything, you know, like dead to rights. I mean, it's kind of wild. Yeah, absolutely. And this was 2011, 12, 13. 12 13. Yeah. yeah. Now with the it's even more doorbell, so. Yeah. Forget it. Because now, so one of the cameras was a home security camera that showed him picking up old Lloyd. The other was like a crime stopper. Because where Odin lived was not uh, the best area, a crime area, so they had a crime stopper camera up there basically to scare you know drug yeah. dealers away from the corner, people hanging out in the corner. Well, now every suburban cul-de-sac in America has got 50 rings pointed out at the... Oh, every... Yeah. <laughs> so every, it's about every house. Don't do it. You're done. I mean, they got everything. They know where you are, what you're doing. The cell phones, your car is now trackable even more so than it was back then. And, uh, yeah, it, it was overwhelming evidence. And if you sat, it was very tedious. Oh, my God, it was tedious. They would go through these cell phone towers. It was – and, you you know, I'm like, you just want to fast forward. You're like, I got it. Right? Yeah. You got them. But they got to go. And then he went to this. And then, I mean, it, it was like a, there was a week of just like – but it's painstaking and it's overwhelming. And that's what gets lost kind of when you look back on these trials and go, well, this was the dramatic moment. Cause you watch these and it's like, you feel like these things are, you know, a two day trial. It's like, it was eight weeks, man. Like and, they had him done and there was no way he could get out of this, this crime. He was guilty. He was there. And, and they had a rule in, in the, in Massachusetts, a law called the, uh, Basically, if if you are with somebody on the commission of a crime, you're as guilty as whoever does the crime. So, yeah, if felony you murder, say, kind of. Bank, yeah, yeah. Or you and I say let's go, let's go kill a guy, but you pull the trigger. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm there. I knew what we were going to do, and so for Hernandez, they basically had to argue he did all this, but he wasn't expecting uh, either Ortiz or Wallace to shoot him. Which then they refuted by showing, ironically enough, he got this home security camera because he thought his own life was in danger. And as a result, it basically damned him. I mean, they had him on the home security camera walking around with the murder weapon, arriving back at his house shortly after the murder might have happened with the guys that would have committed the murder. And then he have him playing around with uh, with his young daughter 
with the two guys who were there as a part of the murder as well, uh, which is, you know, again, the argument, hey, if you really didn't trust these guys and you thought they were bad dudes, why are you letting them hold your baby daughter? Yeah, and there was more. Like, they went out and had lunch by the pool. Yeah. Um, Spent the day hanging out. Later, yeah. I think it was later that night or the next night, he sent Shayana with some money to meet these guys at the side of, like, at a Dunkin' Donuts or a McDonald's or something on the side of a high, uh, off an exit ramp in Rhode Island to give them some money. And again, it was like, well, if you think these two are killer, like, you just, I, I mean, I, I could see. Let's say it's plausible that we, you and I go out and there's a third guy and I just shoot this guy and you're just like so stunned and terrified of me. You're just like, I'm just going to go along with it. But by the next night when they're, when I'm gone, you don't sit there and say, Hey, uh, send, I'm going to send my wife and kids to go meet up with this homicidal maniac yeah. on the side of a highway to give them money. Like, you know, I mean, again, it's like, that's just not plausible that you would just be like, oh, I was just stunned that this guy killed. I, I didn't like this guy now. He's a killer. It's like, but you sent your wife and your and your baby to, to see them. So there was more and more evidence, obviously, that, you know, this isn't, there's there's different elements to this. You could do an entire uh, Netflix series just on the trials. Yeah, and one of the challenges. You could offer, from, yeah, it's yeah, so, so much. And we're One of the challenges appeal. from the first trial is that they never really nailed down why he killed Odin Lloyd. Right? Well, they, we, we know that he that. was we know that he was angry at least in the documentary and I remember reading about it, right? We know that he was angry at Odin Lloyd that night and that he was upset and maybe the intimation is that Odin Lloyd either knew one of two things, right? Or maybe both. He might have known about the shooting in outside of Boston where they killed the guy or two guys, uh, or he might have known about Aaron Hernandez being gay, which we haven't even talked about, or bisexual at a minimum. Uh, and, and so did you, sitting in that trial, have a better sense for what the motive was for the murder of Odin Lloyd, or did they ever really nail it down so far as you could tell? So here's the thing about that, and we alluded to that, and I wish it was told, in my opinion, everyone's got different opinions, but in my opinion it was told a little better, but both Baez and I talk about it in there. They couldn't – Alexander Bradley testified the first trial, but they were not able to advance into evidence anything about the double homicide in Boston right. or the fact that he shot Alexander Bradley or Bradley was trying to kill him. That wasn't until the second trial. So in the first trial of Odin Lloyd, in my opinion, everything changed because of Alexander Bradley. And Aaron's behavior – in the spring of 2013, was almost solely about not getting killed by Alexander Bradley. He thought he was going to get ambushed and murdered at any moment. Because for people and out I, there who might not remember, Alexander Bradley is the guy that he shot outside of a strip club. Uh, in uh, and, and look, there's some uncertainty as to who exactly might have pulled the trigger on Alexander Bradley, and that guy's a little bit of an uh, untrustworthy witness in and of itself. But he was shot outside of his after spending the night with with uh, with Aaron right. Hernandez at the strip club, and he says partly it was because Aaron Hernandez was paranoid about the shooting, and he said, "Well, you shouldn't have been basically such an idiot and shot those two dudes outside of Boston uh, in the strip club." He told Aaron Hernandez that, according to his testimony. So the right, but here's what we know: Aaron Hernandez uh, Bradley was shot. Yep, shot in the head, lost his eye. That's why his eye his his, his uh, eyes all messed up and the thing. Also, we know Bradley was blaming that on Hernandez. Now, whether yep. or not it was because Hernandez was the trigger man or, as Baez says, Hernandez 
somehow was involved in, 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 in recommending somebody like a drug deal gone bad, Bradley is sending text messages to Aaron Hernandez saying, pay me big money or I'm going to kill you or I'm going to get revenge. I've got guns. He's threatening them. I think he sends pictures of guns. Like he's so regardless. And this is a terrifying dude. This is not the dude you want. Like this is not like some, some big talker. This is like a stone cold killer basically saying you tried to kill me. I didn't tell the police about it because I want to kill you myself. And Brad and Aaron Hernandez is not a hardcore gangster. He grew up in a two-parent home, albeit dysfunctional, but he saw his house. He's got yep. a white fence in front. He's got, you know, his dad goes to college. His, it, it's not great. It's not perfect. His older brother seems to be a good dude, right? I mean, a terrific guy, right. There's, it's, you know, he, he's, he's been coddled as a football player, and he's, he's kind of – so. Now here's Alexander Bradley. Alexander Bradley's been shot. I mean, the, the picture of the, the, the video of the, in a bar in Hartford, he gets shot in the groin, and then he shoots up the bar. Yeah. You know, just shoots 11 shots into a bar. Like, that's a, you know, this is a crazy person. So he knows that. So every decision, to me, that spring, he moves, the, he moves Cheyenne and him to California for like three months. That's when he gets the tattoo of the gun. They kind of show that yeah. in there. He's in that's why he's at a tattoo parlor in Hermosa Beach. He goes to talk to the Patriots. He tells his agent the story. He's not he wants to be truth, traded. He asked to be traded. He, he went to Belichick. He now. wanted away from there. He knows once training camp starts, okay, so he goes back to Massachusetts. I think they have like a mini camp. There's a little off season. It's like a month where nothing happens in the NFL. That's why general managers get freak out because it's when all the troubles happen. Yeah, right. He knows once training camp starts, he's easy to find. They will print the schedule of his work in the paper. And so if you want to find Alexander Bradley, or you want to find Aaron Hernandez to kill him, you just follow him home from training camp, or you wait before he gets there, or whatever it's going to be. So he, every move he is making is based on how do I... Now, I can only imagine the paranoia of that. This guy can tell about me being involved in the double homicide in Boston. He can tell about me being involved in the shooting. Any of these would end his career. Or he can kill me. He can literally turn the corner. I can go out to my car, turn a corner, and I'm dead. I can be driving down. Either Aaron Hernandez shot up that car in Boston or Alexander Bradley shot up that car in Boston, which means he knows Alexander, he, he knows Alexander. You know, he knows Alexander Bradley could just pull up on a car and just blast him as he's sitting at a stoplight near his house. So every action he has, you can't put it into the realm of what is rational behavior. Now the prosecutors in that first case had to because the jury knew none of this. Yeah, but I think the failure that people have right now. And, again, I think we need to do a little better job. If I could do one thing, it would be hammer this again. But if you rewatch it, both Baez and I talk about it, it's the, the reason he probably kills Odin Lloyd is because Odin does know about the second house, the, the apartment, because he took Odin there. He might have just, in, in his paranoid, he's, he's, he's partying nonstop. He's partying like he's about to die, right? He's basically just living like he's just trying to get through the day. And I think he sat there and was like, I don't know whether it was real or not, but he, at some point he thought, 
I can't have Odin Lloyd around. This is going to cost me. So he gets his two bodyguards, these two guys that aren't really his friends, up from Connecticut, and they go and kill him. And I think that's the motive. It, I don't think the, the gay rumors, man, at that point, you know, I, did Odin Lloyd know that? I don't know. But that's a lot less of a problem than I'm going to get killed. And if anybody, if I can't trust the crew I'm around at that point, they got to go. That's why I think Odin Lloyd got murdered. That's the theory. But the problem with the story is none of that could be, you know, people go, well, the prosecutors had no motive, and they didn't for the purpose of a trial. But if you look at the whole scope of the story, that seems to be the most likely motive to me. Okay, there are two murder trials. Aaron Hernandez beats the murder trial, the second one, which is a double homicide that actually happens first chronologically. And I thought you guys did a yeah. good job. The challenge to... of telling this story is yes. none of it is, is chronological. chronological. Yeah. So if Aaron Hernandez hires Jose Baez to defend him on the first murder trial that goes to trial, the Odin Lloyd case, you watched Jose Baez uh, in the second murder trial. Could he have gotten Aaron Hernandez off on an acquittal in that first murder trial just based on how good of a lawyer he is? There's even a joke kind of at the end where one of Aaron Hernandez's friends says, you know, I don't know what, what – I'm sure Aaron had some regrets. And he's like – and I bet one of them is that he didn't have Jose Baez for the first murder trial, which is kind of a funny little bit of levity at the end of what's obviously a dark uh, story. Yeah. Um, do, do you think Jose Baez could have gotten Aaron Hernandez off on that first trial? Jose and I disagree on this. I don't. He uh, says he I can. He, he, he says he could he have. Not, but that's sort of like, yeah, he does. But that's, yeah, also that's like, like Jordan well, saying. Coach, that's coach like, put me in. Yeah. Yeah. Pippen, Pippen saying I would have hit all those shots too. Yeah. Um, look, at, I think Jose Baez is he's, he's a phenomenal. If you got player. charged with murder, you would Done. hire Jose Baez to defend you if you could afford him. Done. Yeah. You find a way to afford him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't matter. You find a way. He's phenomenal. I, I, I thought he was. I, the prosecutor in Boston was phenomenal, too. Yeah. Sometimes they can run roughshod off of, because you have, you know, the, 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 the best, you're bringing in the best, the best, and some of these prosecutors just aren't. Yeah, right. Because there's too many. People underrate. I don't want to cut you off, but people underrate lawyer talent because they don't spend enough time around lawyers, but. You know, there is a Michael Jordan of lawyers, right? And Mike, yeah. right now, Jose Baez might be, for big national trials, the, Jose, the Michael Jordan, uh, and it varies, right? Because people get older, they age out of it and everything else. But right now, Jose Baez is Jordan 96, right? Like, he's like Jordan in his prime. And he got Casey Anthony off. He got uh, Aaron Hernandez off. And I think in both those cases, people said, man, there's no way either one of those people are going to be able to get off. Right, and, and it's the difference between being like, well, this guy, this is an NBA player, so, you know, hey, we're, I, I got an NBA player to join my pickup team or yeah. my team, and you go, great, who do you got? Oh, I got Andre Drummond. Okay, that's great, but I got Giannis. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? I got LeBron. Like, it, there's levels to the levels, right? And he's, he's I don't know every attorney. I've, I've watched, I've covered a lot of crimes. This is the best attorney I saw. He was yep. absolutely phenomenal, and I think he would have been absolute. And he has a whole team that's phenomenal. Yep, his 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 group is phenomenal. The whole crew. So, would they have done a better job? I am sure. But Jamie Sultan, the lead attorney, 
in the first trial was a very good attorney. Like, Aaron did not have a low – I mean, he spent a lot – I'm sure he spent a ton of money on this defense. Like, they had a good team there, too. There just was too much evidence. I just don't know how you get through this. And the, there's a perception that it was close because the jury spent a week on, a week deliberating. And we even have it in there, like, you yeah. know, the Nancy Grace, who never set foot in Fall River, Massachusetts, going, well, you know, he's going to get off because he's a patriot. It's like, it's like OJ. There's no, no correlation. Those, those jurors didn't care if he was a patriot. They weren't, like, blind patriot fans going, he didn't, couldn't have done it. There was no... There was no police misconduct. There was no pent-up generations of, of, of racial tension. Like, these are the exurbs of Boston. They're just like, they were incredibly dutiful. They, I mean, I talked to the jurors after. They, they did interviews after. And it was all like, yeah, we went through all of the, we just decided before we take a vote, we're going to go, we just did eight weeks. This is, the, this is an incredibly important thing. We're putting the guy away for life. He's 23 years old or, you know, whatever he was at that point, 25. And we're going to go through all the evidence. So they took a week and did it. And But there was no – this wasn't a close case. And so I don't think Jose could do it, but I think it's a, it's like a convenient – there's lots of convenient little talking points. Like, well, Baez would have got him off. I, here's the other thing. They, they go later on, they go, well, if he could win an appeal to get another trial, then Jose Baez would get him off. First off, now we're in a whole different level because you have to go – find a jury pool in Massachusetts after everything is known that's now going to acquit him. No way. Like, you got to look at the like, – these courtrooms are not in a vacuum. So let's say he gets off of the second one, gets a retrial on the first one, and now you're picking your jury. That jury, particularly in Bristol County, which is outside of, of Suffolk County where Boston is, I, I, I don't know how you find 12 people that are going to be like, yeah, I'm fine with letting this guy walk. It just, I just don't think it could have happened. Um, the relationship between Hernandez's fiance, and again, I think this was crazy and underplayed, and I thought the documentary brought it home pretty well. Aaron Hernandez killed the guy who might have become his b- brother-in-law, right? I mean, his fiance. Yep was sisters with Odin Lloyd's girlfriend, which is how they initially became uh, connected. So it's not just that he killed Odin Lloyd. It's that he basically, it appears, destroyed this relationship between the fiancé, who for some reason remained loyal to Aaron Hernandez, and, uh, and her sister. And obviously then the family who she remained loyal to Odin Lloyd's family. So what kind of dynamics did you pick up on in their relationship having spent all that time in the courtroom? I mean, the fiancé is a strange uh, bird, so to speak, in her own right, right? Like her entire behavior. Shayana, yeah. I yeah. Mean, yeah, it was this tension. Again, these court, that courtroom was very small. There were three rows. There was a split in the middle, right? It's like, like church pews or whatever, you know, like half on the – each side maybe could fit 10 people. Maybe, maybe total occupancy in there is ah, maybe 50 people. Yeah. They're, they're six, seven feet apart. And court adjourns. And they and court, you know, there's, there's 10 breaks during the day. Everyone gets yeah. up, goes outside, go to lunch, go in. They're passing right by each other. You know, like they would try to maybe, you know, not like both walk out of the same. But, 
these are two sisters that grew up together. They were close. They're hanging out all the time. That's how uh, Shania is up in Boston, and I wish this had gotten in. And I don't, she's attending law school. She's a lawyer now. She's oh, attending wow. New England College of Law yeah. up in Boston, and she had met she had worked her way through college, working nights at a at a mo at a not a motel, but like a like a Fairfield Inn type place down in Connecticut. I can't remember the hotel, but something like that, Comfort Inn maybe. Odin Lloyd's working on a like forget the company, but like a construction project, and he gets put down there for basically six weeks and staying at the hotel. And he, that's how they know, met. He, yeah, they met because she's the like good you know oh, you know there's the girl at the front counter, so he's hanging out down there. He's known as this like gregariously funny guy and just laid back and just not a care, you know, just a very likable guy. Yeah. Very likable dude. Right. And so then she moves to Boston to attend law school and her sister is now, I mean, like got this huge house down the suburbs and is, is, you know, fiance with, with Aaron, who they all knew growing up because they all went to school. They all went, they're all from Bristol, not Hilton, but the other, you know, so that dynamic and the fact that the sisters and then that Shayana stays loyal to Aaron and Aaron, this is why like this crime makes zero sense because if you're like Aaron had, Aaron was the, if Shayana Jenkins wanted to flip on Aaron and, and she ends up pushing off like, and, and, and basically getting, avoiding a prosecution of perjury uh, about, you know, hiding the weapon. At any point, if she flips, Aaron's probably done. So he's counting on, so I don't think he planned this thing out at all, he's counting on Shayana not ever, not ever flipping back to being loyal to her sister. Because if she does, she has all the, like, presumably, like, that box has got a gun in it. Or that, yeah. you know, she knows something. And... She never does. She sticks with Aaron over the sister, and that that alone is just a fascinating dynamic to it. And I think that's one of the reasons it's popular. There's a lot of sisters out there going, "Why, you know, what the heck?" I, so, I had a guy tell me, like, as a husband, like, Lou, if I ever kill so and so's boyfriend, you know, boyfriend, you don't have to stick with me. Turn me in, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so incredible loyalty at times to Aaron. There's incredible loyalty in this, but there's also incredible betrayal. It's just just a fascinating, fascinating story. Nobody in this story fits in a box. Like, it's the most complicated part. There's times when everybody's a little bit likable. You know, I mean, even Aaron when he's like, yep. you know, interacting with his daughter. Yes. And then there's times when almost everyone's dislikable, other than you know the victims and a couple people. But it's just such a complicated story. That's it's very very hard to tell. Um, and, and, and I think that, but that, that's why this is, this fascination continues and continues with it. One of the most chilling parts, and there are a lot in the course of the movie is Aaron Hernandez day at the, uh, at the high school or I'm sorry, elementary school where his mom is a teacher and yeah. the entire gym, I think is like celebrating when he's going to the Super Bowl and everybody's going crazy. And his mom's like the, the featured, uh, you know, uh, celebrant the there. Yeah, she's got like a sash on, like she's Miss America, and they play a short little clip of Aaron Hernandez calling the kids and saying, "Hey, be good," you know, basically go to school. Yeah. And it's juxtaposed with um, the 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 you know the the more <laughs> awful stories of what he was involved in. 
I mean, that kind of goes to the essence of this story, right? I mean, we talked early, we started talking about the mom and Aaron Hernandez's relationship and how bad it was. I mean, I think for lack of a better way of describing it. But when you see that footage from the elementary school, I mean, that's unbelievable, right? Like the celebration of Aaron Hernandez uh, going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's the, the old adage, you don't know these guys. Yeah. You know, taken to the extreme, obviously, right? Like, she, at the time... And you also and don't that, know her, because if you saw that, you you'd be like, her. oh, this is a... Wow, she's a school teacher. Oh. Uh, she raised a son who's playing in the Super Bowl. She's got to be the greatest mom ever. And the reality is, when you watch this documentary, you're like, man, she was awful. And the other, yeah, the other son is so got everything together. And yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Hernandez is, is, she's like a school, I think she worked in the office or whatever, but yeah. So it's the one you call in because your kid's got a cold or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's, and the whole city's, you know, Bristol doesn't turn out athletes like this, you know, everyone in and, and the local team that the kids all like anyway, yeah. you know, so yeah, it's, and yeah. And, and, and I think she goes, I think the reporter, understandably, no fault of hers, like you raised a role model and it's yeah. like you, you yeah, know within six months so, yeah. he's going to he's going to be involved in a double shooting you drive by shooting you know like not even a crime of passion which i'm not excusing but it makes more sense i mean they you know, couldn't it, on that double murder they couldn't they had no clues because the, and they, the detective even says, like, they went back and they watched the footage and they're like, oh, wow, Aaron Hernandez was there that night. But they're like, there's no way Aaron Hernandez just pulled up on two random guys and murdered them, right? Like they, they, He was in that club for like 10 minutes. Yeah. that is, uh, he, he walks in the club when they do, and then he, you see him walking out in the footage, and he still has his drink, and he takes a shot. He drinks yeah. it right before he walks out in the street. He's in that place for like 10, 11 minutes. So they're and, like, how in the world could Aaron Hernandez in 10 or 11 minutes get, how, where is this interaction between these guys that could possibly, you know, cause, cause them to wait, circle the block, and end up later like just blasting them out of street? Why would anyone want these guys dead? In that kind of fa- not just would you want him dead, but to, to to do it in such outrageous fashion, like in the middle downtown, uh, there was not a, a camera on that corner, but the theater district or where that was in the corner is maybe one block from like a major entertainment district in one of the biggest cities in America. Like that's the last place you try to kill somebody. And, and then, why would somebody do that? And then they do that, and then they just park the SUV, because I guess they become aware that the SUV is like being sought after, in his cousin's garage, and they would have never probably solved this crime or even come up with a theory because he got acquitted from it because we just don't know who the shooter was, right? I mean, it that, could have been the, the other guy. It was, it was Bradley and, and Hernandez in the car. Bradley's not reputable. He could have shot him. Both guys, two guys in the car. Someone's the trigger man. They both say it's the other person. It's almost like the definition of your attorney, but, you know, reasonable doubt. How do you know? How do you know he did it? Oh, Bradley says so? Look at Bradley. He's crazy. Bradley shoots people, right? Like, so you go, I don't know. I I thought the jury got that right. The problem with Hernandez, it's like you hid the murder car in your cousin's garage. You took the murder weapon, and it ends up in your cousin's house, and it, it gets filtered back. 
you know, he, clearly he was involved in it. And so um, you didn't know, but it's not like Aaron Hernandez was found not guilty. Jose Baez got on that, but this is not like, oh, no, DNA evidence showed he was in Florida at the time. He wasn't even there. Like, this is not some wrongful prosecution. This is like, well, you know, something's got to give. And those two poor guys who were who were shot, I mean, they you pointed out, and the documentary does a good job. I mean, these guys are the quintessential immigrants trying to live the American dream. They're working. One was a former cop in Cape Verde. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it, it, yeah, they're just – there's no evidence. Nothing's ever come forward to suggest anything other than they're just young guys who are out, who happened you know, to bump into Aaron Hernandez and spill some drinks. All of their family, a bunch of their family, have been have been coming over. Small business owners. These, I mean, the brothers. These people were the best. I mean, salt of the earth, working. They would be trying to run businesses and doing work during breaks. Uh, at the trial, like they, they, the the Suffolk County gave them like a, a room, you know, there's like a victim's room. They would go running down there and they're trying to work while, I mean, like, and I would talk to them just about the stress of like, I got kids and I got to get back for this with my brother and, you know, like just heart-wrenching, just heart-wrenching, like the best people. And they're trying to do everything they can to make it in America. And this football guy just kills their kid, you know. These two idiots, Hernandez and Bradley, and I, you know whichever one it was, doesn't matter. Together, and it's like God, you know, like because you know it's chain immigration. Come over, hey, let's get my brother over. We're gonna build this. We're gonna get a family business. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it in America. It's the best story going, and it was just heart wrenching and the stress that they were under. The amount it cost to park in downtown Boston all day, yeah. you know, like things like that. The traffic. The, I got to get back. My kids, you know. Just incredible hardship for just it, beyond, you know, I mean, obviously the, beyond the death of their, their loved one, but it's just the whole thing was just just awful. And, you know, I, 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 I'm glad we spent the amount of time we did on the victims because if you look at any of the others, it's just sort of like, here's these two guys. And it's like, yeah, there's more to it than that. And it just gets you angry about, like, they – there's no need. Let's say let's say there was something. Let's say they even did something to really anger Aaron Hernandez or Alexander Bradley. Go go fight them. Like don't, don't sneak attack them and shoot up the car. Like there's no weapon. They have no weapons. There's no weapons found in their car. You know, like you want to get in a fight with these guys? Fight them. You're out. You're a damn NFL player. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, the, the the senseless violence of it is is overwhelming. Um, and the Aaron Hernandez angle, and I'm sure you guys are getting some blowback on it, is tying in the CTE because his brain, like, you know, the way that he killed himself, his brain was relatively undamaged. I believe he hung himself, right? Like, uh, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. so they could study it, yeah. So they And they were able to study his brain. Um and the thing about CTE that's so interesting, and, and one of the players says it, and I thought that was important, like, there's lots of dudes who have had CTE. Uh, none of those dudes have ever, that we know of, right. committed murder while they're playing on an NFL team, right? Like, I mean, so the CTE does not, like, in some way excuse his behavior. But it does... A, we don't want to excuse anything. Yeah, Yeah, right. But it does raise the question of, 
to what extent, like the big part of the, the under, overlying, I would say, theme of this question uh, of, of the documentary is why, right? Like right. why and how? Like we, we kind of know the how, like how it happened, but why did it happen? Why did Aaron Hernandez, as you mentioned, this guy who grew up in not a great two-parent household, his dad died when he was a teenager and, uh, and his mom, obviously, based on uh, their conversations, they have a fractured relationship in many ways. But that's not uncommon, right? Dysfunctional homes are not uncommon. Most kids who grow up in dysfunctional households don't become serial murderers, right? So let's start there. Uh, He goes to a a relatively good school, right? It's not like he went to a bad school. He goes away to college at Florida where he has, you know, a guy like Tim Tebow uh, and other, you know, whether you like or dislike Urban Meyer, Shelly Meyer, like – they're in the documentary as well. There are lots of people who care about him at the University of Florida, right? Like they're trying Absolutely. to give him an opportunity. He then goes he had a support to, system when he wanted it at any yes. point. He and had then a he fell, go- and the Patriots would supply him with counselors. Or I mean, he had a hundred percent. He goes yeah. to maybe the best organization in the NFL. It's not like it's a dysfunctional organization, you know, where you are given the opportunity to succeed as a professional better than anything else, and this all still happens. So, you know, the CTE was obviously involved. His, his, the, the fact that his father died, we haven't even talked about. I want to ask the last couple of questions about his sexuality here in a minute. He obviously is closeted and either gay or bisexual, depending on how you want to define his sexuality. But all of these things kind of in a toxic cocktail come together. But even with all of those things, Right? Like, there are tons of people out there right now who are sexually frustrated because they're not sure whether they're gay or straight or whether they can come out or not. Right? There are tons of people out there who have broken, in some way, fractured relationships with their parents. There are tons of people out there uh, who have, uh, you know, uh, all, all different sorts of challenges in their life. Most of them do not become serial murderers. Why did he? And that's the question we, even after all three hours of the documentary, can't answer it. and, and yeah. probably after the all the time you spent in both those trials, you still can't answer why. No, and, and, and even if I talk to somebody intricately involved in, the, in, the, in his life of trial off the record, it, it, it's like, that's the question. Like, why, what the heck? I, you use the term, and I've been using this, it's a perfect cocktail. I don't know what it is, and I think the, the only criticism of the of the film that I I get a little bit annoyed about is we, they didn't come, they didn't tell us why. You, yeah. We can't. It would be completely irresponsible for me to say why. Is it CTE? No, of course it's not only CTE. There's been four NFL players that have committed murder. Okay, four. Yep. OJ. It's like there's four guys. OJ Ray Carruth. Yeah, Aaron and some I can't remember. Yeah, but, but you but, know, and maybe yeah. Ray Lewis was involved. But that's a street fight, you know. Like OJ is involved in domestic violence. Nothing like this. Like you, but but what I've been told on CTE is it's it's like genetic. Like you, you know, everyone's got like some uncle that smokes two packs a day and it's sitting there at seventy five years old. You know, you know, totally <laughs> healthy. You know, yeah, right. And then and you go, well, how the hell did this guy not get cancer? Genetics. I don't know. Who knows? Right? Do I recommend smoking two packs a day? No. You'll probably get cancer, but some people don't. Some people can handle this. Some people can handle that. I don't know why he did it. Nobody knows, and I think it'd just be completely ridiculous to be like, well, this was it. I mean, we tried to explore every facet of it, either really 
obviously, or even in, in smaller doses where you can just sit there and go, gosh, you know, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. I, it's, it's, that's why it's a fascinating story. And so I don't have the answer. We're never going to get the answer. This guy, this guy never stopped stunning people around him about what was really going on in his head. And I go to that suicide. Nobody saw it coming. I mean, he hung up with his fiance. He talked to, I think he talked to Baez. He talked to like six people on the last day, hung up with all of them. These are people he's dealing with every single day. Everything's up. He's never been more excited. He walks into his prison cell. He has it all planned out because he, he needs to like he needs a a bedspread that he's knotted so many times that it's strong enough to hold him. He's got enough. He's acquired enough shampoo to soap the entire floor so his feet will slip. He's got uh, cardboard to jam the door so the guards can't get it open. He's got uh, you know three three very personal letters written. He's got all this stuff. He wrote he letters. Goes, he wrote a letter to his daughter, to his wife, and to, and to his uh, attorney, and to his attorney or his fiance. Yeah, and all of them are very personal. Like you know, like there's song lyrics with Shayana and things like that. He, he he literally hangs up like everything's great, and then he goes in and does that. And they they're they're so stunned that they all thought someone murdered him. The evidence is clear that didn't happen. Okay, hundred percent, he killed himself, but. Like, nobody knew him. I'm, I, just nobody knew him. And I don't know anyone ever will. So I think even if you got every single person that ever talked to him, you know, in, in under truth serum, we still would go, I don't know. When did you first become aware that he might be gay? Uh, I had heard during, I can't remember whether, I had heard it either during the first trial or during, uh, I had heard some rumors that he might um, he might be bisexual. He there was a part of the first trial where he um, tried to he tried to sleep with his uh, their 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 nanny um, back at the uh, the so called flop house, and then I, I think after that I had heard some rumblings. And but you know how do you know? I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, how do you know? So and, and um, I've been a big part. Know, the it, reason why I bring it, it up is a big part. Report. Yeah, it becomes a big part because I do think other people look at it, and and I think the I think the way we brought perspective with with Ryan O'Callaghan, who I think story is fascinating in his own right, yeah, and pretty enlightening because, um, you know, the struggle of not being able to be who you are would be crushing on a daily basis, right? It'd be very especially very if you felt like the person that you were was an awful person, right? Like, if you were of the belief, like, in, and I think they say early in the documentary, like, if Aaron Hernandez's dad had known that he was gay, it wouldn't have said well with him, right? He like would have slapped it out of him, right? Thought, yeah, he thought right. he could slap it out of him. And you think if, uh, if they find out, I'm going to lose my job in the NFL. And the millions of people, the 65,000 people cheering me right now are also going to turn on me. Yeah. Right? Which, by so the way, which, you're going to lose it, it all. This isn't a, they wouldn't, by yes, the way. Yes, correct. That's what I was okay. going to say. Is, I think, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. But you get that paranoia. Again, paranoia. He's nervous about everything. And so it's like, who is this guy? He can't be him in any facet. And so 
in his mind, I'm sure he thought, like, everyone, my friends, you know, my friends from Florida are going to hate me. My teammates are going to hate me. The fans, it's going to be this big, huge thing. You can't just come out quietly as an NFL player. Like, it's just, it, it, you know, like, maybe he could, but it would get out. It would be this huge thing. It's almost like too much. Like, you know, so you can see where that was something weighing on him. Now, was that the reason? No. Um, but when you listen to O'Callaghan, I mean, it was just a, I just thought that was so powerful. You know, he's like, basically, I tried to get so fat, no girl would like me, so no one would be surprised. I wasn't this is an NFL, yeah, this is an NFL yeah. player uh, who played and, with the and Patriots. once I retire, I'm going to kill myself, right? Yeah. Like, and he says, he, you know, he sat down with his parents, and it's kind of an interesting mirror conversation because the big thing that Aaron says is over and over, like, you don't know me, I can't be honest with you. He's talking right. to his mom. And uh, and what is also interesting is this guy says, you know, I got to talk to you, mom and dad. And like and it's kind of it's an incredibly powerful moment because his mom is like, oh, I thought you had a terminal illness. You know, like this is right. so much better. Right. I, like, don't, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. that big of a deal. And you and also the same thing with with the Sansusis where the dad's like basically like, oh, well, good. Let's get you feeling better about yourself. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, Dennis and that's the quarterback player. that he had a relationship yeah. with, uh, who was on his high school team, starting in like seventh right. or eighth grade. They started to experiment sexually with each other, right. and so and, he's not feeling good. And this and that, and I'm just assuming at this point, if you've listened to like an hour and a half of this podcast, you watch the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even spoiler, <laughs> yeah. If you still are like, I gotta watch this. Yeah, um, but it, it is, and then you also get like. I think a lot of people out there who are guys, especially, and watch. I said on my radio show the, uh, a couple days ago, I said, like, m- most of the time, men watch television because they wish they were the guy that they're watching on television. And it's right. very aspirational, right? Like, if you watch football or you watch basketball or any sport, every man just about who watches sports wishes they were the pro athlete, right? Like, you wish you were the man 100%. literally in the and, arena, and, and, right? And I watch, I also watch, like, Beat Bobby Flay. I wish I could cook like Bobby Flay. Right. I watch Deadliest Catch. I wish yes. I was as much of a badass as those guys. Crap. Or you watch yeah. like Bear right. Grills, you know, and it's like, right. man, I wish I was able to go out in the woods and be that big of a badass. Or, or right. you know, like something, uh, something like even fictional television. You know, you watch like a badass Tony detective. Soprano. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. you know, like you watch. It's aspirational. Like you wish you were that guy. Very often, the way men watch uh, other men on television. And I think a lot of people look at Aaron Hernandez, and there's a moment with Jose Baez where, like, when they're setting for the jury and a juror walks in, uh, maybe ended up on the jury or maybe not, but she's like, they overhear her say, oh, my God, he's gorgeous, right? And I think a lot of men who watch this documentary are going to think, my God, I wish I could have been the athlete that Aaron Hernandez was. I wish I was as good-looking as he was. Right. And one of the one of the contexts that they talk about a lot is how could he give all of that away? And the answer is because ultimately he was not a happy person, right? And the, and the guy I thought who you guys had who was Odin Lloyd's friend said, you know, yeah. like I, a lot of people look at Aaron Hernandez and say, like, Odin was the guy who was happy, right? The guy that he murdered, yeah. even though he wasn't the pro athlete and even though he didn't have the multi-million dollar mansion or the multi-million dollar football contract – Odin was the one who was happy in his life. Yep. Odin was rich. Hernandez yeah. was poor. Yeah, yeah. Mike Massey's like the, the street philosopher, man. He's deep. And, uh, yeah, but it's true. Odin was the happiest go-lucky guy. They all just said he just 
he worked, hung out with his girlfriend. He had a great relationship with his family, his little sisters, his mom. You know, he rolled some blunts. He's really good, the blunt master. Yeah. He, was, he was chilling out, man. He was great. Everything was good, you know. And uh, Ned didn't have a problem. He grew up in a very, very, uh, very tough neighborhood. Yeah. Where Odin Lloyd grew up. Very tough area in Dorchester. And he just skated through it. That was uh, that was kind of like, all the trouble that he... he like, I think he said, uh, Massey says it. Like, I didn't, we didn't think that guy would be on either side of the gun. Just, he just slipped right through, right? Gang infested neighborhood, drugs, all the different problems they have in that section of Dorchester. No problem. But Odin made it. And so he makes it all the way through. And he's 27, and he's doing fine, and his girlfriend's going to be a lawyer, and everything's going great. And, and he says, this fake, this fake gangster kills him. It's just, you know, unbelievable. It's unbelievable stuff. Dan Wetzel, I mean, it's a phenomenal documentary. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to have the opportunity to say about the documentary? How many, how many, last question for you, like from a procedure process, like how long did you sit for all the interviews that they end up running during the course of this? Is that a one? Well, I didn't conduct, I didn't, oh, the one I'm in is one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't conduct the interviews. Yeah, yeah, right. It would help and guide the story, but yeah, it was just one day in Brooklyn. uh, The studio in Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, it's a phenomenal thing. So, uh, down the line, do you want to do more documentaries like this? Um, sure. You know, I think I like telling stories, and so it's whatever medium. You know, I have a lot of. There's a lot of stories. It's it's is the best medium. You know, a book is it? A, is it? You know, I mean, it's always going to be the daily columns on Yahoo. But yeah, um, is it a is it this type of thing? Is it? Uh, is it a pocket? You know, whatever, whatever it is, is it a motion picture. I, you know, anything. Uh, you know, I just think there's. I think like this particular case, this story was so much more powerful when you could watch and hear it yourself. It's just you know the the most powerful parts. Uh, you know, almost no one's like who's coming out of that thing going. That Aaron Hernandez documentary is unbelievable. That one guy in the blue suit. Oh my god, he's so. You know, I mean no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not you're like did you hear this did you see when craft it looked at you know that's and that's the thing like you want to tell a story the best possible way and in this one there was so i got why people didn't follow it on court court footage because there was there's weeks of it but if you did you saw you know if you were there you saw this amazing testimony between these guys so I appreciate it. It's uh, it's certainly been an interesting uh, process. It's a it's a terrible story, and uh, you know I I feel bad about the whole thing in in a lot of ways. But it was certainly a it's certainly a story unlike any other ever covered. Well, you can find Dan Wetzel on Twitter at Dan Wetzel. You can see him in the documentary. I'm guessing just about everybody who's listened to this has uh, has already watched it by now. This has been a lot of fun to unpack. I appreciate the time. And, uh, again, this has been Wins and Losses. I'm Clay Travis. He's Dan Wetzel. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.